Have you ever thought, how in the heck do I have so much stuff? You might have a clutter problem. In this episode, I interview my friend, Monica Lynn, and she'll teach you about the different types of clutter and how clutter can affect your mental health and wealth. The Mental Health and Wealth Show, The Mental Health and Wealth Show, The Mental Health and Wealth Show. Thank you so much for listening to The Mental Health and Wealth Show. This is host Melanie Locker. And first of all, I want to acknowledge that you are brave and amazing for being here. Getting ready to listen to a show about mental health and money is not easy, and I know you are ready for these amazing conversations. But before you listen, I want to let you know that all of my content is based on my own personal experience with mental health and money, as well as the experiences and expertise of my guests. I'm not a mental health professional or a financial professional, so content should not be considered professional, medical, or financial advice. As a trigger warning, please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide. So if you're currently in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741-741. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. This is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today, I am chatting with my good friend, Monica, Monica Lynn of Make Room by Monica is a professional home organizer and clutter coach. She specializes in helping clients enrich their lives by transforming their relationship with their things and simplifying their spaces. She describes herself as a former nomad turned professional homebody who has made it her mission to help others feel at home, both within their physical homes and within themselves. Love it. Welcome to the show, Monica. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. So happy to have you on. I am so excited to be interviewing a friend of mine for people that aren't familiar. I actually met Monica at an event that I spoke at just a few years ago, and we connected and we realized we lived just blocks away from each other and had a coffee date afterward and have been friends ever since. Yep. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I still think so fondly about you know, pretty much it was like a week right after our first coffee date, we got together for, it was like a full moon and we're just like, let us let go. <laughs> yes. Let go of everything that I no know. longer serves us. I know that was so lovely and perfect. And that was such a great kickoff to our friendship and also such a great way for me to kind of get an insight into what you're great at and what you're great at is all about letting people let go of of clutter and you know this is something that has gotten a lot of press in the past few years especially with Marie Kondo especially you know now we're kind of in COVID and people are home all the time and wanting to kind of downsize or declutter their space you know on your Instagram you have shared the different types of clutter people have what are they good question yeah um so I'd rather define clutter as anything that doesn't serve you in this present moment or in the you know near future. And clutter is anything that really ties us to a story from the past or a hypothetical future. And I started giving names to different types of clutter because I wanted to help people recognize clutter and the narratives that we attach to it. So yeah, I mean, I think that you can break down clutter and give it all sorts of names, categorize it and recategorize it. Um, but a few of the, the main categories of clutter that come to mind are past self-clutter. You know, mm-hmm. this is 
that stuff that like, you know, this is my favorite sweatshirt from college (laughs) in five years or 20 years, but you know, like I have to hold on to this or this is a pair of jeans that I wore when I was at my skinniest, or this is, you know, old rock climbing gear from when I used to boulder three times a week. So there's past self clutter, which is obviously something that ties to um, your sense of self from the past. And there's aspirational clutter. Um, Oftentimes this, you know, when we describe this clutter, we use the term or the phrase one day, right? Like one day I will have a big house, a house big enough to hold all these things. And I want to put this in the foyer. I also often see what I call someone else's clutter in people's home. And this type of clutter, I mean, it is very literally like perhaps something that somebody else has brought into your home. They have gifted it to you or, um, you know, they thought of you and they, they gave it to you, even though it may not necessarily be something that you need or something that um, really, you know, is your taste or style. And the flip side of that is also like, you know, someone else's clutter. It can also be something that you are setting aside for someone else. You know, oftentimes when I help clients declutter, they have unresolved feelings towards certain items. And because they have a hard time letting go of it, maybe because they feel guilt (laughs) around letting go of something that they think is still valuable in some way, um, as a half step towards letting go, they will set it aside for someone else. Or they'll be like, hey, this can make the perfect white elephant gift next Christmas. <laughs> so I'm just going to save it. So someone else's clutter is a category of clutter where you haven't fully been able to let go. And, you know, your solution for that is to give it to someone else. It's so interesting, all of these different types of clutter. And, you know, there's all these belongings that we keep in our home for different reasons. And, you know, just there's someone else's clutter, there's our past self's clutter, our aspirational clutter. I think you breaking them down in this way just makes it so much clearer, like why we are holding on to these things. Yeah, I'm so happy to hear you say that because I think it's so easy for people to talk themselves out of letting go of something. You know, another big category of clutter that I see a lot is what I call low-key costly clutter. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is clutter that, you know, it has a very low barrier of entry, right? It tends to be really cheap or free or small. And, you know, people often justify keeping it in their homes or bringing it into their lives with this question of why not, right? It's why not? It's so cheap. Why not? It's so small. Just toss it in the drawer. And um, yeah, but what ends up happening is that we all, we allow these stories to really take over our lives, right? The clutter um, comes into our home very unintentionally. And I'm seeing that clutter is... It's this manifestation of delayed decisions and delayed action. And yeah, and I'm seeing that it's it's very common for 
many of us as human beings, right, to want to delay making these decisions. Oh, that's so interesting. I love that you mentioned that it's kind of this idea of making a delayed decision, like holding back while, you know, holding on to these things kind of just keeps things as they are a little while longer. And that brings me to kind of my next question is, what do you think the relationship is between a scarcity mindset and clutter? Because I'm, I'm seeing, you know, a lot of things that kind of relate to each other, this feeling of scarcity, and then this desire to keep things that you may not need and, and to hold on to clutter. Yeah, I think that in many cases, there is this direct correlation between scarcity mindset and clutter. You know, people will overbuy something if they feel like they may never come across this again, right? They may Mm -hmm. um, never like anything as much as they like this item that's in their hands, or, you know, they'll never come across this deal again. And so they'll overbuy. And then these items can become over, uh, they can become neglected and unused and just kind of get shoved into a corner over time. Another thing that I see a lot is that um, people often, because of the scarcity mindset, right, this, this belief that we may not have enough money, they decide to spend money on something of lesser quality because they want to, they want the savings. And that's what feels responsible. But oftentimes when these items are of lesser quality, they break down more quickly uh, or, you know, when you receive it, you, um, you know, like people realize they don't really like it, but they also can't return it because oftentimes the return policies on cheaper things aren't as flexible. So I think that there's definitely a connection between scarcity mindset and clutter. I've also seen it take a different form, this kind of like fear of lacking memory. You know, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not like a monetary or monetarily driven scarcity mindset, but it's just this fear that like, oh my gosh, like if I don't have this physical thing as a placeholder, then I will forget. I will forget this moment in time. I will forget what it feels like to be with my children on this Tuesday afternoon, or, you know, I will forget to, to do this thing on my to-do list. Mm, That's so interesting. And I also saw on your Instagram, you were sharing a personal anecdote about your family and scarcity mindset and how I believe you said one of your parents would get lots of napkins whenever they would go out (laughs) and kind of hoard these napkins. Can you share that story a little bit more? Oh, yeah. Um, So both my parents, they grew up in Taiwan, really even before Taiwan was seen as a newly industrialized country. Um, So they both grew up very poor. And then when they immigrated to the U.S., they also had to learn to survive on much less you know they really learned to stretch the dollar and I am so impressed and so proud of them and even though they have really climbed out of poverty and broken that uh, intergenerational poverty they still or my mom still you know always seems to be anticipating crisis Mm -hmm. and my dad my late father 
And when he was alive, he used to, he would go to Starbucks and he would grab handfuls, gangs of <laughs> napkins and then bring them home, set them on top of the toilet and, <laughs> and tell us to use it as toilet paper. And then, you know, he would go out to business dinners and like <laughs> dinners with business associates. And then at the end of the night, if there were any unused napkins on the table, paper napkins, <laughs> not the cloth ones, but paper napkins, he would also um, bring those home as well. And so it was, it was definitely really interesting. It, it drove me crazy. So I was just like, what does toilet paper cost? <laughs> mm -hmm. We can, we can afford toilet paper, right? So I think I used to, it used to drive me crazy. And then I, I just really started to understand where this was coming from. And, you know, it made me a little sad. And I, you know, I just still to this day, just want to give both my parents a hug and to hug their, um, like the inner children that they are and just reassure them that it's going to be okay. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think so many people do that. I know I do that to a lesser extent, you know, when I get takeout and I have extra stuff, I just keep it and I'm like, Oh, I'll use this one day. And then, you know, I have 10 plastic forks and knives and things. And, you know, it's kind of like, they are useful things, but I don't really need them. And so it's kind of difficult to feel like, well, you don't want to waste it, but then what do you really need to do with it? Yeah, I think you know, it starts with making these conscious decisions to not take free items if, mm -hmm. if they are there, you know, and if you don't have an immediate use for them. A lot of clutter comes from sort of just unintentional consumption. And yeah, I think in the example of my father, <laughs> um, it wasn't even something that that had been just like given to him with a takeout order, you know, mm -hmm. something that you, you used to always call it the fringe benefit. He's like, these are all fringe benefits. <laughs> Starbucks wouldn't leave out all these coffee stores if they didn't want us to take them. It's like, you could take one. <laughs> yeah, you don't need five. <laughs> Especially if we were going to come back again to Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, totally. So talking about this idea of consumption, you know, obviously buying things is an inevitable part of modern day life. There are so mm -hmm. many advertisements in our face, especially with social media. What type of spending triggers do you think lead to clutter? Yeah, I think that marketing is growing more and more aggressive I actually have a background in digital marketing and um, I, I mean, I left the, the industry almost like 10 years ago now, but even at that time, I think what we were seeing is that like, you know, we had to serve up these ads more and more frequently because consumers were becoming a lot more desensitized. And so you have to show the same marketing message or a variation of it, uh, you know, exponentially more times in order for um, in order for that message to meet and intercept the consumer in their moment of need and to convert that that eyeball that impression into an actual sale so yeah I think that social media is definitely very triggering now that we are all at home 
and we are getting our social interaction more and more through our screens. I think that social media then, you know, is is just served up or is serving more and more ads to us. So yeah, I I I, I think that as far as consumption triggers, um, the word sale mm, <laughs> is yes. definitely that word that creates this sense of urgency in buyers. And to counteract that, you know, I think we need to start unsubscribing from mailing lists. We need to um, unfollow people that perhaps encourage us to spend in areas that, you know, where we already have an overabundance of things. And um, another thing that I, I see as being very triggering is uh, emotional spending. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you have a bad day, oftentimes what you want is just like a quick hit of dopamine. You want something that's just going to lift you up and, you know, you want things because it feels like our options are especially limited these days during quarantine, like retail therapy becomes the easiest thing to reach for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, and when you're making an impulse buy, oftentimes you're not investing in something that you really, really need. You're just trying to fill a void or soothe a pain. And so, again, you like get this thing that you haven't put much thought into. It arrives in the mail and, you know, you kind of use it <laughs> and then and then decide, yeah, OK, like I didn't need it as badly as as I thought I did in that moment. And then it just kind of, you know, goes the way of this clutter, just goes into the back of a drawer or um, into a pile in the corner. Totally. I love that you mentioned both this term sale and then also emotional triggers. You know, uh, there's that Rite Aid by our house that is closing and the other week, it's closed now, (laughs) but like, a week or two ago, it was like 50% off, 75% off. And like my eyes just, you know, got wide and I was like, oh my gosh, 75% off. And then I was like, I don't even need anything though. And I was so proud of myself. I just continued to walk by because I was like, I will just go in there and justify reasons to spend money that I don't need to spend because it's 75% off. But if you don't need to buy anything, it's not 75% off. You're still spending 100% of money that you don't actually need to spend. And, you know, I totally think that sales are going up right now because of social media. I actually have a ton of friends who are buying lots of things on Instagram, which I thought was fascinating. I personally have not purchased anything on Instagram, but I have friends that have. I know my mom has. And, you know, it's very clearly showing that people are on Instagram and it's converting to sales. And I just mentioned a few weeks ago that I think one of the main dissatisfactions with pandemic life is that, you know, there's no anticipation anymore. There's no anticipation for going out to a nice dinner or going to a concert or going on a vacation. And part of that anticipation is what kept us going, which, you know, kept us feeling happy and motivated. And really one of the only ways to have that anticipation right now is to buy something online and you anticipate its arrival on your doorstep. And it is a dopamine mm-hmm. hit. To and then have it this feels package. like a gift. 
Yeah. Yeah. It feels like a gift, right? And you're like, ooh, a secret admirer. I'm not going to be myself. <laughs> yeah. And some people are like buying so many things, they forget what they ordered. And then it like all comes and they're like, oh, yeah, I bought all this. And, you know, I think that's definitely something to be mindful of as well, you know, as we are continuing to battle this pandemic. And, you know, I totally understand, like, I almost never buy online, but I purchased something online uh, a few months ago because I had a gift card and my um, package was delayed. And I remember being so upset, like, I really just want my package. And I was like, why do I care so much about this package? And then I realized this is the only thing I have to look forward to. And I, because it was a gift card, I purchased things that would make me feel good, not necessarily things that I need, like, you know, an electric heating blanket and special coffee and, you know, a massager. And like, (laughs) it was just so funny, my mood. And I was like, oh, wow, it's all related to anticipation and this feeling of looking forward to something. And I can totally understand why people's online spending has surged with the pandemic. Yeah, I think um, it's also interesting to hear what you purchased for yourself. Um, And those all all falls into that category of self-care, right? And that's also something I see a lot in people in clients' bathrooms. And I see it as aspirational clutter, you know, like one day I will take a bubble bath. Uh, one day it'll become my nightly routine to light a candle and, you know, use this massager. Um, yeah. And like, that's all great. And I don't think there's anything wrong with buying things to um, treat yourself. But, um, you know, if if you do want to build it into your routine, you have to make room for that. Yes, I love that. Make room by Monica. (laughs) Have to make room for it. I totally love that. So, you know, when you're purchasing something, really investigate what role is this going to play in your life. And one of my rules is if I haven't used it in the past six months, I don't need it, you know? And I think having a spring cleaning at least once a year, even a fall cleaning, even once a quarter, if you can, is really a helpful way to purge and ditch things that you no longer need because having so much excess stuff can have an effect on your mental health. And I'm so curious, you know, what you've seen with yourself and your clients and everyone you've worked with, how does clutter affect mental health? It really depends on the level of clutter that we're talking about, right? Like if you have a few receipts in your wallet, you know, that's not really going to um, really drive you crazy. But when nothing in your home has a place and your house is in this state of disarray, you too can begin to feel really unmoored and unsettled. And I see that you know, when you have to expend so much energy on managing stuff and on remembering where everything is, mm. that depletes you. And that takes away from the time that you could otherwise be spending on yourself, especially in these times, right? We need time to decompress because so many of us who are fortunate enough to work from home, we are experiencing this blurred line between work and personal life. Um, We then have to be a lot more mindful and intentional of how we reclaim that space, right, for ourselves. And if you are 
you know, standing in your living room, standing in your bedroom and just surrounded by stuff. It is very, very hard to unwind and it's very, very hard to de-stress. I I was just thinking that, you know, this past year we've been staying safer at home. But for those of us who are overwhelmed by our clutter, it's we're not staying saner at home, which I think (laughs) also has to be um, a priority. Yes, totally. And I love that you mentioned, you know, this kind of blurred line between personal and professional life since we're all working from home. And, you know, I've been working from home for the past six and a half years and have been acutely aware of this very difficult and blurry line. And actually, sometimes one of my productive procrastination techniques, as I call it, is actually cleaning. Like sometimes I feel like if I have a lot of work, but my house is a mess, I can't focus until I clean. And, you know, yeah, I'm like, I should be working, but I actually feel like I must clean and organize for me to get started. And sometimes I just have to do that. And then once everything is in order in place, clean, you know, I'm ready to actually focus and get to work. So I definitely think it can affect your mental health and your focus and productivity as well. Yeah. Clutter is just a distraction, right? And if we are trying to gain traction in anything that we're doing, whether it's, you know, focusing on work or trying to make space for ourselves in these times when our world has just shrunken down to the size of our apartments, clutter needs to be cleared in order for us to create an opening for anything that we want to prioritize. Yes. Love it. So I'm curious, do do you think people have a hard time letting go of things that they don't want anymore because they paid money for it? Sometimes. Yeah. I think that there is definitely a sunk cost fallacy associated with letting go of things. I think people feel like it's a perfectly good item. I spent money on it. I can't let this go. It would be wasteful to let it go. But I also think that there are other contributing factors that make letting go so hard. Um, I think it's oftentimes really hard for us to admit that we may have made a mistake, mm-hmm. that we you know, brought something into our life that we don't actually love, we changed our mind about it. And yeah, well, I think there's a little bit of ego, right? Like by letting this go, I'm admitting that I'm a flawed person. <laughs> I had mm-hmm. my, you know, I, I execute flawed judgment in that moment. That doesn't feel good. And so people don't want to let go. Um, I also see that oftentimes people worry about what it says about you if you let go of something, particularly if it's something that someone else has given to you. You know, like, oh, like, I, my mom will be so mad at me if she realizes that I let go of this fugly scarf that she gave me <laughs> two Christmases ago. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, or I, I can't let go of that. That's, um, that was from my girlfriend's bachelorette party. But, you know, I, I honestly believe that um, your relationships are strong enough <laughs> to withstand the test of decluttering. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I think that's such an important point, especially that the holidays were recently here and, and people get a ton of gifts and you know, while everyone has the best intentions, sometimes you quite frankly might not like the gift or need it and use it. And so 
you know, I love that you mentioned that sometimes you might want to let go, but it's difficult because there's this kind of personal relationship behind it. There's this feeling of what you should do with it. And there's a lot of guilt, I imagine, with wanting to give that up. Yeah, completely. So if people have clutter, do you recommend people making money off their clutter? You know, as a freelance writer, a lot of the tips that I say and other people say is, you know, downsize and sell your stuff on OfferUp and Facebook Marketplace. Mm-hmm. So do you recommend that people make money off their clutter if they donate it, trash it, or a hybrid of all three? I, I would say a mix of all three. And and it obviously depends on what your what your situation is. Um, I believe in responsibly letting go of things. And while I understand the convenience of, you know, calling the junk callers and having them just cart everything away in one fell swoop or driving a big donation to Salvation Army or Goodwill, I really like to encourage people to be thoughtful about how they rehome their items. And I encourage them to do their best to get these items to people and organizations that um, are really, really going to cherish them and appreciate them, you know, and that could be um, through reselling your items or reaching out to organizations like Dress for Success or Habitat for Humanity, or I've even seen organizations that collect gently used bras for women who have battled breast cancer and have had mastectomies. So, I mean, I think that there's, um, there's so many homes, future homes for our items that, you know, it's, it's really worth the time if you have it to be intentional about sending your, your used items to the proper home. Um, Yeah. And I think this ultimately will save your, items, things that you previously cherished yourself from a lifetime in a landfill. And it also saves the energy of the sorters at these donation centers. And, but, you know, of course, if your clutter is overwhelming you to the point where, you know, it is really affecting your mental health and expedience is, is the priority, then yes, I would encourage people not to get too hung up on trying to resell their items and instead take the items to recycling centers or these donation centers. Love those tips. Thanks so much for sharing that. And I think what you said about finding the right homes and finding the right places, and you mentioned some great organizations to consider for donating. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about mental health and clutter. A lot of us have been staying at home much longer and much more than we ever have. So what steps can people take to improve their mental health through their environment? Hmm, Good question. Um, I think that the first thing that we all need to do is to envision how we ideally want to feel in our space. You know, really, really clarify within yourself, how do you want to feel? How do you want to be spending your time? What kind of routines do you want to have take place in each of these rooms within your home or within the one room if that's what your current situation is but yeah take the time to to visualize and set goals for yourself and then you can begin to to close that gap between your current reality and your future reality 
Um, for anybody who is beginning to declutter, I always recommend, you know, start by editing, you know, and also be mindful of the flow of things into your home. I have told clients before, like, I think you should go on a shopping diet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? um, like really, you want to, you want to get the level of clutter in your home to a helpful level. <laughs> you know, I don't think, um, I don't think it's realistic to expect that our homes will be 100% clutter free as human beings with things to do and life happening. And um, there will always, like clutter will always be there to an extent, right? But it's about being mindful about how quickly it flows into your life and about managing the, the amount of time and energy that you can spend decluttering. I really want to encourage people to invest in a life less throwaway, you know, really be thoughtful about what you are purchasing or accepting when, you know, items like material items are being offered to you. Um, Think about how long you'll use it. Be clear about what your, what your sort of like everlasting style is. You try to resist fads. And lastly, I think, it's really important to just tell everybody in your life, you know, that about your decluttering journey and be really clear about, about your boundaries. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I know that we just wrapped up the holiday season, but you know, for the, for upcoming, for upcoming commercial holidays, gift giving holidays. Um, yeah. Just like, don't, don't be shy about, putting out a wish list and saying like, Hey, like I, I don't want, I don't want any more plastic in my home. So, um, you know, this year I'm really investing in biodegradable items. So I, I want more like bamboo spatulas as opposed to, um, plastic ones. <laughs> yes. Um, I love that. I think that's so yeah, important. And, yeah. And I think the more you tell people about like, what your values are, what you're trying to do with decluttering your home and simplifying your home, the more accountability there is, right? Um, I really believe that like none of us have to declutter alone. Decluttering is really, really hard. And um, at the start of this recording, you had mentioned Marie Kondo and, um, you know, I think like conventional pop wisdom it tells us that oh like decluttering is really easy all you have to do is hold something and ask yourself if it sparks joy Um, (laughs) (laughs) it's really not that easy because our clutter or our relationship to things is often so intricately tied to our sense of self our scarcity and abundance mindsets and unresolved grief and um, those are not things that are easy to to untangle and unpack on your own. And so if you can talk about it with a friend or even a professional, I think those are all great steps towards curating a life that you love and letting go of things that no longer serve you. I love that you mentioned that because there is such an emotional impact to our things. You know, they represent a specific time in our life, a specific feeling, a specific moment. And, you know, it can be incredibly difficult to let those things go and 
I love that you mentioned having boundaries and kind of really being critical with your thinking of what you are consuming. I know that some people have a rule, you know, one in, one out. So if they bring something new into their home, they let go of something to make space for that. And that's just one rule that I've heard of. And I also love that you mentioned creating routines and setting goals about what you want to do with your environment, because I follow James Clear, who is an author of um, the book Atomic Habits. And he's always mentioning that, you know, we don't just reach our goals, we we rise to the level of our systems and our environment Mm -hmm. provides those cues for us to actually be able to do things. So, you know, if I have my my walking shoes right near my door, that's a reminder for me, hey, I want to walk every morning. Or if I have my coffee set up right next to the kitchen, first thing I see in the morning, I remember I'm going to make my coffee first. So, you know, setting your environment so that they are cues for the routines that you want to have and the things that you want to do in your life. That's so crucial. And the last point I wanted to mention is really considering the cost per use of items. I think that's super important. Mm -hmm. So let's say, for example, you buy this really nice coat for $60, but you use it once in six months. That means the one time you used it, it's like you're renting it for $60. But if you wear this coat, you know, six times in six months, that cost per use goes down to $10. And if you use that coat regularly for years, then obviously the price goes down and down and down. So I think it's really important to consider cost per use because sometimes we buy things that maybe are cheaper, maybe are you know even more expensive and we think they're worth it. But then you really have to think, how much am I actually going to be using this and how frequently and what is the actual cost per use? Yeah, absolutely. And I think on that note, Um, It's important to know that we have options, right? So you mentioned, oh, it's like renting a coat for $60. Like, yeah, guess what? There are rental companies where you can rent clothes, where you can, you know, rent a, what are they called? Like a movie projector. So you can watch a movie outdoors. You know, there are experiences that we we can rent. And we can also test them out first before we commit to bringing them into our homes and storing them. Um, you know, I think it's it's well worth it to see if we can, you know, successfully integrate these items into our lives first before we make a big ticket purchase. Yes, I think that is so important and such a wonderful point. And with that, I wanted to talk about uh, my last question, which is mm-hmm. talking about how uh, you are hashtag not a messy bitch. I love this hashtag that you use on your Instagram. What does hashtag not a messy bitch mean to you? Thank you. Uh, well, hashtag not a messy bitch is, you know, it's how I see myself, but it's also uh, the name of my one-on-one coaching program. and. I see a not a messy bitch as being someone who owns up to their shit. They don't expect anyone else to clean up their mess. They're proactive in creating the life they want. They are, they either already have very clear boundaries or they're working on clarifying them. And so they are not going to, uh, just as they're not going to expect anyone else to clean up their mess, they're also not going to, you know, spread, um, they're not going to spread their drama 
they're not going to let other people's mess and drama throw their inner peace and their inner calm and their commitment to themselves. Um, I just think. I love that and think that is such a wonderful term for your coaching program and it's such a wonderful hashtag. So congratulations on something fun and unique for you. (laughs) So how can people work with you and find you? You can find me on Instagram. My handle is make room by Monica. Each word is separated by underscore. (laughs) And yeah, and just reach out. I am online and my website is makeroombymonica.com and I have a blog where I am trying to share helpful tips and really illuminate a lot of the thought patterns that we have around clutter and material possessions and yeah I just um, I'm excited to to connect with you all love it so what can people expect from your not a messy bitch program Um, great, great, great question. (laughs) I wasn't expecting that. Mm Um, so the not a messy bitch program is, you know, we work together to really get at the root of your clutter. I like to help my clients navigate the guilt and the shame around clutter, which we spent a lot of time talking about today. And not only will I be there with you to celebrate every physical item that you let go of. I'm also celebrating your release of these narratives and stories around the items that you own. And yeah, so this program is comprised of six sessions. They are video coaching sessions with yours truly. And um, we start with um, what I mentioned earlier, this visualization, um, you set the goal for your space and we will keep coming back to that goal, right? That goal then creates the map for your decluttering journey. And over the next few sessions, we will work to declutter up to two spaces of your choice. And we close it off with a release party where we say goodbye to our themes. I love that. And that sounds so fantastic. So if you are interested in working with Monica, definitely reach out. We will have all of her info and links in the show notes. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise and stories with our audience, Monica. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Want more content and support? Sign up for the Mental Hump newsletter and get our free mental health and money inventory worksheet. You can sign up at mentalhealthandwealth.com and also check out our other blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, we host a mental health and wealth hangout every other Thursday over Zoom at 5 p.m. Pacific to chat about all things money and mental health. The best part, it is free. If you'd like to support the podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a review. And you can also support me at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lockhart. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.